Welcome to Launch Codes, the podcast about marketing operations, artificial intelligence, and more. Each week, you'll hear from experts as they share insights, stories, and strategies. Welcome to Episode 11. I'm your host, Joe Peters. On today's episode, Massive Drama in AI. Second, Google tightens its belt on spam complaints. From our community, the platform Pivot, how to learn a new automation tool. And then in our hot takes, CMOs say the more the merrier for Mops teams next year. The future of fashion, AI wearables that tech all the boxes. And finally, YouTube stamps out AI ambiguity with new labeling. Today I'm joined by Matt Tonkin. Matt, what are you happy or excited to discuss this week? So... We're recording this on a Monday morning, and as someone who checked out a little bit on the weekend, had a busy weekend, um, what what happened to, like, OpenAI is, uh, well, yeah, I, I want to know what's going on. So, I've been following this very, very closely over the weekend. Pretty shocking. So, right now, it's, uh, what time of day is it? It's 20 after 9 Eastern on Monday morning, so... I feel like this is fast-moving drama. Who knows what could happen today? But as this is what we know as of now. Friday afternoon, the board of OpenAI fired uh, Sam Altman. And shortly after, Greg Brockman, the president, quit. And then there was kind of a sign of a whole bunch of departures going to happen to follow them in whatever they decide to do. So, obviously a real shocker. Sam Altman presented to President Xi and Biden just the night before was the keynote speaker at the APEC CEOs conference in California. I think it was in San Francisco. And then the next day he's fired so really some weirdness and and the 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 reason they said for him being let go was something around clarity of communications mm-hmm. like vaguely in that so there's a lot to unpack there so that's drama point one or step one but, had had you heard that it, yeah yeah and it feels like how much has happened um yeah when i read the reason it it seems purposely veiled in in some ways right um so it, it'll be interesting to hear sort of like the back and forth but it seems like it came as a huge shock um to to anyone involved so i i find that surprising yeah so going into it it's pretty, it's hard to fully appreciate. I'm a big fan of, of Sam Altman. I think he is an incredible communicator and a great leader in the space of AI. So I really wondered what what could really happen that would, for, for a board to be so upset that they would let him go like that. He is... If you compare him to uh, the communication style of Elon or Zuckerberg, 
like they're not even in the same category. He's so thoughtful and um, just just a great communicator. Very rare uh, from that perspective. Uh, a lot of char- charisma, and you know, a lot of people are are following him. And so when when you kind of peel back the layers of the onion, what was really surprising to me was the very unusual board structure that they have. Like very unusual. There's only four board members um, outside of Sam Altman and Greg Brockman. Um, wh- one of them's at OpenAI. Uh, I always butcher his last name, but it's the Ilya Sitskovic, hmm. uh is the is the technology person connected, or you know, the hardcore developer part of the team and then the other board members are pretty i'm gonna say basic and what i mean by that is they're not really outstanding people the type of people that you would expect well one microsoft doesn't have a seat on the board which is shocking for a 10 billion dollar investment and then you have like a former CTO of Facebook, but he left in 2008. Matt, right, what so was Facebook been... like in 2008? It was <laughs> just becoming a commercial product at the time. And then the others are, are I'm going to say, people that you wouldn't really expect to have so much power. Right. And, it, and so if it's a six-member board, it's obviously a unanimous decision. Four, four to two. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Who, who really made the decision, I guess, then, um, the way you're describing it. And you mentioned like Microsoft not having a, a seat. And that was the first thing when I did see the news and stuff, a lot of the comments were along, like, how does this affect the relationship with Microsoft? And then you give me a little, uh, note on what actually has happened in what the last, 10 hours that's um altman's been hired by microsoft yeah well wow you're kind of skipping okay okay i'm a fresh fresh baby to everything that's happened in the last 48 <laughs> hours and i'm just like coming in yeah. on this like what so uh, there the 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 dialogue going back was what was could be the reason and so a lot of the commentary was that safety was at the core and there was a difference in perspective on safety and what that actually meant for the future. So Altman had alluded on Thursday that they'd made another massive breakthrough. And so that was where people thought the tension was on the safety side. It turns out if you believe what's happened that that wasn't the case but so so listen it's it's saturday the drama continues it looks like the board is going to resign and altman's going to go back okay that was saturday sunday turns out that wasn't the case and obviously microsoft is playing heavy on in the negotiations here they lost eighty billion in market cap on Friday, so they're pretty, yeah, uh, you know, worried about yeah, what's happening. Yeah. 
they have a stake in it. One hundred percent. And so it seemed like, well, last night when I was uh, heading to bed, it remained unresolved. And there was a picture of Sam Altman holding a guest badge at OpenAI headquarters. Okay. Which, and then you have these trigger points where all of these key members of the OpenAI team are leaving. They had set a time and people were leaving. So wake waking up this morning, find out Microsoft has hired Altman and Brockman and Microsoft Ignite is going to be this new AI space and they're going to lead it and have a ton of money to take AI forward. And I really wasn't familiar with him before this morning. Obviously, I know the tech, but the uh, new CEO of OpenAI has been announced, and that is Emmett Shear. And he is best known as the CEO of Twitch, which I don't know, doesn't seem to be like an obvious one for me, but maybe Twitch had... So, some really deep moves happening in AI, but he has been out of the game and and had re, had left Twitch. I'm going to say for six months, nine months, or something, okay. and um, and just took over as CEO of OpenAI. And he dispelled the rumor that the reason for the departure and the dismissal was not safety oriented. And that he is committed to commercializing their innovations. So, Matt, it's crazy. It's like, it's, this is the second inning of the AI development cycle. And these moves are just jaw dropping. And this, yeah, it's like a sort of a watershed moment. And this, well, because conversation around like safety and you know for commercialization of this like those are all those like very hot topic words for the general public versus you know the tech community that's more involved in ai um right in that balance so that's what i I find interesting like how does this hurt perceptions publicly about open ai is there you know you start getting all the worries about like well what was happening that that made this so necessary in that sort of piece. Yeah, very, very true. And obviously there's going to be a story. There's a book and or a movie about this coming. Yeah. Like this is this is pretty fascinating. And, and the script there's this whole new be written by Chat GPT. <laughs> you know, but I, I feel I feel like there's a big shift happening here now and the one thing that really surprises me is there's this deceleration movement they're called decels now which i think is pretty funny but this deceleration movement on trying to slow things down but i'm going to tell you there are no one else is slowing down and and may, maybe you would like it but the moment your foot's taken off the gas, 
someone's going to be putting their foot on. And whether that's some other company in 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 the U.S., EU, Europe, China, who knows? No one else is going to be taking their foot off the gas. So I, I don't think the genie is out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. And we've got to figure things out. And I I really am curious where this goes. But anyway, that's enough of the drama today. Let's let's shift gears. But definitely more to come here and more details that we're going to find out. And I really would like to know what this breakthrough was that they had on Thursday. And maybe that'll shed some light on why. It, is it something? Is it something that even is elaborated on in the next week, do you think? Um, I don't know. Right? Like, or is it just suddenly like disappear and that wasn't mentioned? We don't know exactly that what that mention was. We're going to have to wait for the movie, I think, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, let's shift gears. Not a lot of mops in that first segment, but no. we'll bring it right back to the ranch here as we get into our next topic, which is Google and Yahoo making pretty big changes uh, to uh, prevent spam. So we've seen a lot of headlines on deliverability changing uh, changes coming in Q1. And we really focused on this, uh, you know, in a couple of podcasts ago. But really, it's these new rules are going to affect organizations sending more than 5,000 messages per day to Google Yahoo Networks, regardless of the platform. And this could include password resets, newsletter, product announcement, it doesn't matter. So organizations with spam complaint rates of 0.3%, let me repeat that, 0.3% or higher, will be blocked from sending messages to Google Yahoo. And this, this could be a really, really big problem for some enterprise companies reliant on kind of that high volume outbound messaging model. So there is a quote from uh, Cold IQ, the, the CEO, COO from there, and and the point was, quote, it's symptomatic of a larger trend. The old predictable revenue playbook is dying. Inboxes are overwhelmed and buyers aren't responding to cold outreach like before. SDR teams have grown exponentially, yet yield diminishing returns. End quote. So what do you think about this, Matt? There's there's a lot to unpack here, but yeah. it's not a surprise. Not a surprise. It's a natural progression um, that we've seen over the last five, six years of, you know, legislating this type of thing uh, with GDPR and you know, even in uh, the states, which the United States, I know Canadians tend to say the states a lot. Uh, I've, I've been called out on that a bit, but <laughs> even in the United States, you're starting to see more of that legislation put in place and a place that's his- historically been kind of slow to the um, compliance game. You're starting to see that being put in place at a legislative level, level which means, you know, it was just a, ma- uh, just a matter of time before, you know, Google started all right, let's let's use our weight and throw it around a bit. I'd say if you're following good practices, you probably don't have too much to worry about. I know I work with a lot of companies that they probably don't have to worry too much about this. That 0.3% though is a scary looking number. Yeah. Um, 
but it comes down to a matter of like, yeah, it, you can't just buy lists and blast out lists anymore. One, it's a it's a bad tack. It doesn't work very well. So this is almost Google saving you from yourself. In a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think what are the solutions? One, quality is going to matter. Probably personalization and maybe even how that could be in that AI-assisted personalization. We've had some pretty fun experiments with that. What else do you think is yeah, on the that, on the table here? That hyper-targeting, that someone is interested or has reason to be interested and what I'm sending is valuable. And that's, I mean, that's been key for getting good open rates, getting good click rates is send something valuable. Don't just be like, hey, buy my product. Um, people get flooded, right? And so there's going to be that change in tactic. How do you actually reach out to people in that sort of approach? Um, and anytime something like this happens, there'll be a few articles that are big and like, oh, okay, do it this way. And everyone's going to do that. So it's going to be switch to LinkedIn, LinkedIn direct messages. And suddenly everyone's going to be flooded with LinkedIn direct messages. <laughs> and it becomes, I remember years and years ago, HubSpot put out an article that for some reason, I think it was 10 p.m. or 10 a.m. Eastern on Tuesdays and Thursdays, get the best engagement rates for emails. And do you know what happened? Everyone sent emails at 10 a.m. Eastern and no one opened any emails. Um, yeah. So it's sort of that that cadence and that flow and i see that happening i see a bunch of okay we can't email as much do this and that getting overwhelmed and everyone sort of will find their find their area that works for them yeah i i i don't know how many we're, we're sort of overwhelmed with a lot of spam now and um i'm gonna say my dms on linkedin 90 percent of the time are someone trying to sell something now maybe even higher than well that. and it the worst is when it seems like a genuine connection or or need and then you connect and then immediately they're selling something to you and that's yeah. sort of that bait and switch that that's what it was with email originally um and this that's gonna cause linkedin to start cracking down as well yeah it's it's moving from one thing to the other. It's the whack-a-mole of uh, channels, right? So anyway, let's move into our community question. And thanks to the marketingops.com community for giving us a great topic this week. So let me read the question for you, Matt. What's the best way to break into Marketo or SFMC when you only have one year experience in each, but more than seven years experience in Eloqua? Oh, so that's always, that's always a tough one, right? Because so many times like roles and new, new positions get broken down by what tool you're using. Um, and it's unfortunate because in a lot of ways, you know, there's the idea of like transferable skills and that knowledge yeah. on how to structure a RevOps team, how to structure how processes are happening and how data is met and read. All of that is transferable between these platforms. In the end, the best way to get experience is to have experience, which is which sucks because the only way to get experience is to have an opportunity to be in with the tool. 
Um, if this but is the knowledge isn't lost, right? The knowledge isn't lost. Part of it is just understanding the kind of switch in language and process within the systems. Yeah, and that yeah, that's one hundred percent. I know Marketo uses the term programs for what most in marketing would term a campaign, um, and then Marketo campaigns are more like a workflow for most, and and that can be the hardest part. That terminology, that just knowing how to do certain things. But again, it's just you get experience with that and those transferable skills, that strategic mindset doesn't get lost. Um, so a lot of it's exposure, look into the documentation, talk with people who've used the platform that can kind of do that translation, right? Um, I think that's sort of the, the perfect part. How long does that take? Depends how much time you can invest. Um, but I think someone with a good MOPS mindset can probably move between platforms in a matter of a few months, um, not saying they're going to be an expert in it, but they can make that transition. Yeah, make their way around in the platform and get get things done. Yeah, yeah, and I'd say also rely on the community when you're when you're blocked on something. So if you you know can't figure out or decode what doing X is in in platform Z, then ask the community. We, we have a great MOPS community out there and people are very, very supportive. Okay, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors at NAC for sponsoring today's episode. NAC is the no-code platform that allows you to build campaigns in minutes. NAC's dark mode allows you to test and preview your emails to see exactly how they'll look in dark mode. Visit knack.com to learn more. That's K-N-A-K.com. All right, so let's move into our hot takes, Matt. And our first one is from the State of MarTech and Marketing Operations, released for 2024. And 63% of CMOs expect to see an increase in the size of their MOPS function in the next 12 months. So this research was done in August of this year, and the reasons why they feel this is happening is that MarTech uh, continues to play a role, a key role in marketing strategy, and 30% of an organization's marketing budget now is spent on MarTech, according to this report. So what are your first thoughts on this, Matt? Honestly, this makes sense to me if you think about sort of a, a bit more turbulent last 12 months that we've had. And the thing with marketing operations is that you only tend to notice it when things are going bad, right? It's one of those things that it's under the hood a lot of the time. And that's a challenge for marketing operations. Uh, marketing operations professionals who need to find a way to surface what they're doing to show their value. But I think a lot of the times... It's that it's only noticed when something's going wrong. So when times come for cuts and stuff, it looks like, oh, what's this person doing? And and you see a lot of cuts. And we saw that happen over the last 12 months or so. And then suddenly it does it starts cascading and you don't have people that have the knowledge that have, you know, the the understanding of how your data is set up, how everything's processing. Um and you start to not be able to know what you need to know. Um, you know the old phrase for 
advertising budgets. I know half my budget's wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, if you have a good yeah. team, you know what half. <laughs> um, yeah. You, that's, that's the whole underlying purpose is knowing how to do these things, knowing what works and actioning on them. And that's marketing ops drives marketing strategy. Yeah. Well, I, I think you've made some good points there and it is encouraging for a space. It, I, I do, I do think that people are understanding the ROI component of, of MOPS is much easier to, to understand than other parts of the, of the function. So let's move on to our next area, a uh, little jump back to AI again. And there's a couple of new AI wearables that have been released. There's first is this rewind pendant and second is this humane AI pen. And let's start with the humane one and then we can get into the rewind one. And the humane AI pen, I really would just encourage you to kind of have a look at it. They have a weird URL. It's like hu dot m a n e dot a i or something like that or no it's h h u dot m a dot n yeah yeah okay yeah yeah it's very very funny but uh because it's a little bit hard to find but i'd encourage everyone to just go watch the video it's about 10 minutes it's pretty fascinating and if it isn't fully let's say perfect today the profile is a little bit big like it, the the way you're going to wear it is kind of a bit odd and big but if you kind of think about it i do feel like it's given us a glimpse of the future what were your first takes at it the, the interesting thing for me and like with that video is that it wasn't i don't know it didn't have like this huge flash like appeal like trying to sell you on this thing it it was just, here's this device, here's how it works. And very, I felt, matter of fact, here's how things work. And it felt like, you know, taking all of the cool or slightly scary pieces of the other wearables we've seen and sort of like putting it all together. It really felt like sort of a all-in-one device for AI. Um, so, so that was what stood out to me first. It was very much a, let's describe how and why and not not get too flashy with it yeah uh, so just just so if you can conceptually think about it it would be like if you took an iphone it'd be like the size maybe like the top third of your phone maybe a little bit thicker and then has a magnet or clip structure there's a kind of different backs to it so it can either be you put it on one side of a shirt and the and the and the battery or the back of it, the clip is behind or so it's kind of like in between your shirt or on either side of your shirt, or you can clip it onto a jacket or clip it onto a purse or different things like that. So that form factor is a bit, a bit awkward. It looked a bit awkward on the people, but then you're able to engage with it at different points kind of eliminates some of the surveillance fears by having a glowing light so it doesn't you know you're not 
secretly recording people. Although I bet you if you put a piece of black electrical tape over it, that would cover it up pretty quick. But anyway, it also has a little projector, so it will project onto your hand and you can control it using your finger and thumb to advance things. I don't know. It looked really interesting and I think it would be fascinating to try it, but I think it would be also really weird to wear it around. And it looks cool, right? You you see it on your hand. What functionally and like is is that something people want to do? Is that you know, is that better than a phone currently? Right? Or your watch. Or your watch. Is that like how how well does it work one? Is it if it's not clean functionality, like if it it can be as cool looking as you want, but if the actual interface doesn't work. And I mean, we just saw what the video was. I haven't had a chance to play around with this, so it might work perfectly. But I have my doubts that it does. <laughs> yeah. So that's one thing too, right? Is is it better enough that it's going to replace something like a phone. Um, yeah, and I, the one thing with this too, you know, we've got all these different ones coming at the rewind pendant. Um, you know, we've seen all these wearables. When does it kind of consolidate and become like a phone where, you know, a huge chunk has an iPhone and then, you know, the smaller divisions, there's maybe like really 10 at most key models that people have. So when does it become like that where everything gets consolidated or does it, does everyone just have a different wearable? I, I do, I do find it pretty interesting. I think they're on to something. It's, it's worth having a look. It's probably V1 is not going to be, if they get enough funding and sell enough that they can get to V2, it's probably a compelling uh, more compelling when it's a smaller form factor. Mm -hmm. But right now, and some of the criticism that I've heard has been the kind of surveillance, recording people. And I, I think they've tried to address that. But And then the other thing is, I have a phone and a watch. Why do I need this too? Yeah. And, that, and that I think is probably a, a legit question. And maybe it eliminates one of those things. I don't know. To your, to your point on the whole like recording, and they address that very early in the video. They pretty much outright say, you know, it's not going to just be recording you. It, you have to interact with it, which is kind of a very different approach from that rewind pendant where the whole point is it's recording. Yeah. So that rewind pendant, for those of you that aren't familiar with that, is a necklace with a little, it looks kind of like, a little cylinder, maybe an inch uh, long and a half an inch thick, and it's at the end of this pendant, and it's kind of just recording all day, and then it sort of processes it and condenses it and gives you details on what it's heard all day long. Now, they've really, like if you check out their website now, it's really walked back because they got a lot of criticism yeah. on that. And their all their use cases are like, what would it be like for a CEO to condense all of your conversations that you've had all day? Or what about someone with ADHD to get a summary of what there is? So they're really trying to, it's very actually hard to see a picture of the pendant on the website now. Oh, so, I haven't looked at it in a while. I'll have to, I'll have to yeah, so I, obviously they've taken their criticism 
uh, on the surveillance side of things to her. But anyway, this was supposed to be a hot take and ended up being longer than some of our other segments. So maybe we should um, move on. And this last one, I think, and this is a theme that we've talked about a little bit, is YouTube now going to be telling users when content was created with AI and having the ability to have those labels uh, so that people have awareness uh, on this. I think when we get into things like elections, conflicts, public health crises, any kind of public official or public figure this this sort of ai label is going to be important and we're going to have to have more and more of these yeah it's um to me it's a natural progression of you know misinformation flags um and fact fact checking uh flags where you know if it can tell that there's something off about it surfacing that um not necessarily removing it, but making sure people are as informed as possible. Yeah, it's it's a pretty... <laughs> this is going to be something, and I know, I know we're going to have a, several iterations before this is nailed. It is... But next year's U.S. election is going to be fascinating on what's going to happen in this space. Yeah, we'll, we'll know a lot more. Yeah. And I mean, we'll see how well YouTube can actually action on this. Yeah. And I think all the platforms are thinking about this now. I know uh, Meta came out with something last week too, I think, in the, in the similar um, area of trust. But okay, let's move on to our pairing segment. And this week, I'm in the office today, so I don't have access to my turntable or the vinyl, but uh, we that's not going to stop us from sharing um, our pairing segment today. So the album that I would like to share with you today is a Grateful Dead album. It's, it's, there was kind of their last, well, not, not, not the last, but it was the first time they kind of had broader commercial success. The album is called In the Dark, and the song is called Touch of Grey. And uh, it's not the, for the Deadhead fans out there, they'll be like, oh, Joe, why are you sharing that song? This isn't the, their, you know, the, the best part of their catalog. But uh, I thought it was fitting with everything that's going on in AI and the, the fact that we're a bit in the dark and uh, everything's got a little cloudier here in terms of where things are going. So I thought Touch Up Grey was a very fitting track for us to have as our music pairing this week. And the vinyl is super cool. It's kind of this purpley vinyl. You'll, you'll see it in, the, in our show notes and show uh, cover. But it um, this track, In the Dark and Touch of Grey, I thought were perfect for today. Well, so for me, um, I've got my beer. And so <laughs> the beer I've gone with today is from uh, Quebec, and it's Unibrew, Unibrew, depending on... Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And this one I felt served very well for... <laughs> so for anyone who uh doesn't have an elementary level of french like myself uh le fin du Mont is the end of the world 
and uh, email spam rates, uh, open AI in shambles. <laughs> it really can feel like the end of the world, but just remember it's not the end of the world. So yeah, there we go. Well, those ones are pretty strong. Yeah. So uh, you have too many of those that can be, people. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it can be, uh, it can be those, those are a flashback to my youth heading over across the border to Quebec. And, yeah. uh, those, those are, those pack a heavy punch, those fandom all, but all right, Matt, that's awesome. And we're on the same wavelength, uh, as, uh, with our choices this week, uh, setting them up thematically to what's happening yeah. in our world, but all right, well, Thanks, Matt, and thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple. Stay connected with us on LinkedIn or by joining our newsletter, also called Launch Codes, using the link in the description. And as always, thanks, Mum, for watching. Have a great week, everyone. Yeah.